Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to. Please get a hold of us at lafayettenaz.org. Have a great day. Today, uh, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. We'll be in Malachi chapter 3, and then we'll be in 2 Corinthians 9. We'll make a stop in Hebrews 8 along the way. And I just kind of want to talk to you about a posture, a disposition of our heart that I find... um, challenging. It's challenging. So uh, Sherry and I, if you know Sherry and I well, you know Sherry and I, just in terms of makeup and personality, we're different people. We're different. We've always been different. We always will be different. We're just different people. And I don't know if uh, anyone else is here who's married to someone who's different than them. Maybe you're married to somebody and they're exactly like you. I wonder what that is like. What is that like? But for the rest of us, we understand that that you're mar- the person that you often are attracted to is someone who's, who's different than you. And Sherry and I are different from each other in big ways and then also in small and kind of unimportant ways. And one of those ways, small and unimportant ways, is our, our music preference. We're just different. Sherry was raised on country music. To this day, she loves country music. Any country music fans in the house this morning? Um, yeah, that's light applause. I would characterize that as light applause. Deckards love country music. Uh, but uh, I, I was not. I was not. I was not raised on country music. It was not a part of my life. Um, I, I was raised on like anthem rock, like arena rock. So like U2 was the first band that that I was all in on. And then it got weirder from there, like Radiohead and, and, and all, all sorts of like arena. So we're just different. We're different. Okay, well, when Sherry and I uh, were, were dating and, and then when, when the first early years of our marriage before, you know, kids ruined our calendar, um, and we had a little bit of disposable income, you know, we'd go to concerts. And I remember at the time we were living in Kansas City and I was going to graduate school and um, I'm dating myself now, okay, so sorry, y'all. Um, but uh, the, the Dixie Chicks were coming into town, wide open spaces, you know, all of that. And um, Sherry wanted to go. Sherry wanted to go. And so you know what my posture in my heart towards that was, towards Sherry? It was, I, I love her so much that I get to go to this with her. I get to go to this with her. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, would you just be quiet? <laughs> I get to. I get to. Now, if there was some rule or external governing body or agency that said this is how a husband is supposed to treat a spouse, then it wouldn't be get to, right? Then it would be I have to or to use improper English like they do in Clinton County, I got to. I got to. I don't get to. I got to. 
right? And the same thing happens uh, from her perspective towards me. So again, I'm dating myself. So like years and years and years ago, I stumbled upon this small little band from Britain that had just released an album that nobody was paying attention to, and it had a, a track on it called Yellow. And I, I like was like all in on this small little band called Coldplay. And, and, and they were coming to Kansas City as well. And it was before, it was before like, you know, like they're on the Gap commercials and stuff and doing the Super Bowl. But way before any of that, it was a small little environment and Fix You had just come out on the radio. And, and for Sherry, she knew I wanted to go to that concert. And from her perspective, it was, I get to do this with Troy. Now, if there was some rule about this is how, how wives should treat their husbands, then it would be, I got to. But it wasn't that. It was, I get to. So what I want to talk about today is the different posture that exists in our heart and in our life, in our relationship with God, between the posture of, I get to, versus the posture of, I got to. And I don't think this posture shows up in any more vivid detail than when it comes to the topic of our resources. Our resources. So for many of us, we were raised in a church culture where the expectation was is that we have to give 10% a tithe. We have to give 10%. 10%. And if you don't give 10%, I mean, you got to do that. If you don't give 10%, then bad things are coming your way. And I understand where that thinking, where that mentality came from. It, I mean, Malachi chapter 3, I want to turn your attention to the word of the Lord. Malachi chapter 3 kind of spells this out. Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 8, I'm going to read through verse 10. Should a person deceive God, yet you deceive me. But you say, how have we deceived you? With your tenth part, gifts and offerings. You are being cursed with a curse, and you, the entire nation, are robbing me. So bring the whole tenth part to the storage house, so that there might be food in my house. Please test me in this, says the Lord of heavenly forces. See whether I do not open all the windows of the heavens for you, and empty out a blessing until there is enough. So, for many of us, we were raised in a culture where we were taught, if we, if we do not give, I mean, we got to give 10% of gross. And if we don't give 10% of, of gross, then what are we doing? We're robbing God. And what will happen to us when we rob God? Then God will curse us. It's a simple if-then sort of a statement. And listen, flat out as a pastor, flat out as a pastor, I would be thrilled if every single one of us in this room committed to give 10% of our income away. Absolutely thrilled. I'd be thrilled. Whether you chose to give that here, whether you chose to give it somewhere else, if all of us in the room today made the decision in our hearts, I'm giving 10% of my money away, I would absolutely be thrilled. But if you do it because you got to, 
or else you'll be cursed? I don't know. If your motivation towards your relationship with God is based out of fear of what will happen if you don't, or based out of fear that these bad things will come your way, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Because what ends up happening, what we end up learning is through, through the lens of the Bible is that the motivation, the posture, the want of our heart is everything. It's everything. And if you feel like you've got to, you'll never want to get to. You'll never want to get to. So let's talk about that that formulation in Malachi chapter 3. Let's talk about the tithe. Now in Israel, in ancient Israel, 30% of your income was taxed. 30%, right off the top. You made a buck, 30 cents, taken away, taxed. 30% given to the authorities. Of that 30%, one-third of the 30%, or 10%, was given to the temple. And it supported the temple, the priesthood, the sacrificial system. That's what the tithe was for. It was a tax for all of the citizens of Israel, and it was this got-to mentality. You absolutely have to do that. Now, what ends up happening when we get to the New Testament is Paul plays around with this. So Paul says to the people of God, hey, y'all are here for a purpose, and the, per- and, the, and the law was there for a purpose, and the purpose of that law that got to was to direct you and to call you to Christ. And Paul says this the most clear in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, words will not be on the screen for you, but I just want you to hear this this morning. Verse 24, Paul says this, So that the law became our custodian until Christ came, so that we might be righteous by faith. But now that Christ has come, we are no longer under a custodian. So why did the got to exist? The got to existed to point us to Christ. It was a custodian of our faith. But now that Christ came, we don't need that got to because we get to. And so we don't fall underneath the weight of that custodian. And so according to Paul, the purpose of the law was to show us how we can't be related to a law-concerned or oriented God. So the law is there to lead us to Jesus. And the law that got to exist to show us that no human being can ever be rightly related to God if it's the responsibility of that human being to always keep every letter of the law. The law is a custodian, and it shows us that we need a Savior. And now that we know that Savior, the law has served its purpose, and we don't serve under the weight of it. So Hebrews says it like this, Hebrews 8. So as good as it was... The law is no longer of use. I got the words wrong up there, so sorry about that. God has put his own spirit in our hearts, and he motivates us internally as opposed to the external law-based faith. As good as it was, the law is no longer of use 
Because God has put his own spirit in our hearts and he motivates us how? Internally. As opposed to this externally based faith. So our motivation is desire. It's compulsion. It's get to. It's love. It's not got to based out of fear. And I think this is really beautifully stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is this. What I mean is this, Paul says. The one who sows a small number of seeds will also reap a small crop. And the one who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous crop. And everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, what's interesting here is this isn't some sort of got to sort of a thing. This is a get to thing. Because the fact that Paul even says to the church in Corinth, hey, you got to make up your mind about what you want to give, basically lets us know he isn't thinking in his heart or in his mind about some sort of got to 10% oriented faith. If Paul wanted to encourage people to give down to a percentage point, it would have been real easy for him in that passage of scripture to say, you already know what you're supposed to do. You already know what you have to do. You have to give 10%. It's a tax. He could have said that, but he doesn't. He said, think about it. Think about it. you got to talk to God about it. And you have to make up your own mind. Why? For Paul and like every other writer in the New Testament, it was not got to. It was get to. Because in the kingdom of God, there is no place for any sort of external stuff to compel God's people to become the kind of people who give. Because the compelling has to come from God. It has to come from God. It's not the job of a pastor. It's not the job of a church. It's not the job of a board of trustees to try to compel people to give by using some sort of external pressure. The compulsion has got to be generated from the spirit of God that is at work within the people of God. It's got to come from God, because if it's not, it becomes this shame thing, and it should never be a shame thing. It should never be a pressure thing. And the kingdom of God, here, is it, here it is. It's, hey, listen, there's a need. Let's talk to God about it, and let's give accordingly, because God loves, what did Paul say? A cheerful giver, not a reluctant giver, and not a pressured giver. And the fact that Paul says, you need to make up your own mind, means you have to make a decision. You have to make up your mind. And to make a decision, to make up your mind, means you plan for it. You think about it. You talk to God about it. You schedule it in. You put it in your budget. It means you're not just kind of waiting for the last moment when the offering plate passes and you're reaching into your wallet and you're like, seeing, oh, what do I have left over? What can I give? Because whatever it means to seek first the kingdom, it must mean that we do not give God our leftovers. It can't mean that. Because if something is important to us, what do we do? We plan for it. We budget it. We structure it. There's 
one major expenditure in my family's calendar that is the most important thing to me. It's to take a family vacation every summer. Um, Y'all know what it's like. You work long hours. Uh, Your kids are all over the place. And I just think there's something about the rhythm of knowing there will be seven days where we wake up and we're together all day, every day, and the only thing on the agenda or the only decision that needs to be made is what are we eating for dinner? That's it. There's something to that. And so Sherry and I, we budget that in. Why? Because it's important to us. We plan for it for a year. Why? Because it's meaningful and significant to us. And so Paul is saying to the church, you have to make a decision about this. You got to talk to God about what it means to become the kind of person who gives. And then you got to decide. You have to be intentional because it's not, God's not in the leftover business. God's in the seek first the kingdom of God business. So as God's people, we say to God, God, how would you have me to steward your resources that you've entrusted to me? There's no external pressure. It's not a got to. It's a get to. Because God wants a cheerful giver. Not under compulsion. But let me clarify something. Cheerful doesn't mean it won't hurt. Because any kind of kingdom giving means it's going to pinch a little bit. It's going to hurt. When you hear kingdom and kingdom of God, keep in mind what kind of kingdom we're talking about. We're talking about the kingdom of Calvary, the kingdom of the cross. Kingdom of God is about self-sacrifice. And when the sacrifice is made, it's going to pinch. It's going to hurt. And there ought to be a pinch. It ought to hurt a little bit. If we give and it doesn't hurt or we give and it doesn't pinch, then we need to talk to God about are we doing what God would have for us to do. It's a clue. It's a sign that we might not be as intentional in our giving as God would want us to. It's going to hurt because we're doing it because we want to. We get to. Not because there's some rule over our head and we've got to. We do it because God's planted it in our heart. It's motivated by the Spirit of God at work in our heart. And so with Jesus and in Jesus' kingdom, it is always a get-to thing. It's never a got-to thing. Always a get-to thing. And when Jesus talks about giving, he talks about joy and fullness and opportunity. It's about a privilege. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that it's the love of Christ that compels us. There's this compelling that goes on within God's people. There's an obligation, but it's within us. It's not outside of us. And Paul sees the beauty of who Jesus is and the beauty of what Jesus is doing. And Paul says, I get to do that. I want to be in on that. I get to be part of this movement that is turning an empire upside down and it's helping to beautify the whole world. And so what did he say? He says, I count it all as joy because it's moving me in the direction of the beauty in the world that I've always wanted 
to be part of. And so in the kingdom of God, in God's kingdom, the motivation is love. It's always love that motivates us, and it's never fear. The motivation is joy. It's not threat. And we're motivated by what we get to do, not by what we got to do. We get to. We get to. And what we get to do is we get to be poured out towards God. God invites us to be poured out towards God. And this is why at this church, as long as I've been a pastor, we've never talked about fractions. We never talked about percentage points. We've never talked about that stuff in terms of what we all should be giving. Instead, what, here's what we want to do. We want to introduce you to a beautiful Savior. And we want to introduce you to the most compelling kingdom. And we want to talk about the most provocative thing that God is doing in this world and the unbelievable invitation that God has given to all of us. And then here's what we want to say. Hey, do you want to get in on this? Do you want to be part of this? Because here's what happens. The more that you see the beauty of God, the more you become like God's beautiful people, and the more you become like God's beautiful person, the more you see the beauty of God. And it's this ever-growing, ever-expanding thing that God is doing in our hearts and our lives because the more you see it and become like it and are motivated by it, the freer you are from all of the got-to. And pretty soon it's all about what you get to do. And as that happens, you and I, we are learning the joy of giving. The joy of giving. But friends, church, if there's a got to in your head, it will suck the joy right out of your get to. If you have got to in your head about this, it will rob your joy, that you get to be a part of this. It only takes a little got to, to rob all of the joy out of the get to do it. You can't got to do and get to do at the exact same time. Let's take it into, let's, let's again use an illustration from like the most important relationship in your life. What if there was an opportunity that you had to serve that person? And like, listen, you've been learning what it means to love them well and to serve them well. And you see that there's this opportunity. And let's just hypothetically say it's like emptying the dishwasher or just something silly like taking out the trash or whatever it is that you usually don't do, but there's this opportunity for you to do it. And you've been thinking as, as you're at work all day, when I get home, I, I'm going to do that. I want to do that for that person, him or her. I want to serve them like that. And then you get a text message while you're at work. And the text message says, hey, it's going to be a really busy night, super stressed. Why don't you, when you get home, you're probably going to beat me home. Why don't you empty that dishwasher? How about you take out that trash? And what you were thinking in your mind is, no, I want it. I wanted to just do that under no obligation or without any invitation, just to do it to say that I, I love you and now it's, a, now it's a got to. It only takes a little got to to steal the joy out of all of the get to. Law, that law that we talked about in Malachi chapter 3, law and a law-based relationship with God is all about what you got to do. 
Love is always about what you get to do. It's about what you get to do. And it only takes one got to do to ruin one get to do. Folks, in the kingdom of God, we get to do this. We get to. We are invited to. We get to pool all of our resources together. We get to sacrifice together to see God continue to do the beautiful things among us. And God is doing some incredibly beautiful things among us. The testimonies from baptismal candidates, while all of us are weeping, we get to do that. The children whose lives are being shaped and formed even now as we speak, we get to do that. The, the, the students at a local elementary school who are fed on the weekends through backpacks of food delivered, we get to do that. The formation and the community that is happening in the life of this church, we get to do all of that together. We get to be part of God-changing lives. There's nothing more significant in our calendars or on our schedule that we get to do than the reality that God partners with us and he uses us to change lives. And here's the beautiful thing. Every small action in our lives that is aligned with the cross of Jesus Christ creates this ripple effect that goes on and on and on for eternity. We get to have a life that matters and makes an eternal difference. We get to have a purpose in our life. Do you know how many people there are in this county who are dying for some sense of purpose in their life? And we, we get to be a part of that. We get to partner with God. We get to do that. That's a privilege. We get to know the beautiful things that God is doing in the world and we're invited into it. He calls us co-workers. He gives us that kind of dignity. This is not a got-to thing, and it never will be. It's a get-to thing. It's not a bondage thing. It's a freedom thing. So if I could, for a moment, I just want to invite you to check your heart and to check your mind. Because here's the thing. The world that we live in, especially in America, and we live in America... We are conditioned to associate money with got to. Got to. And the only time we get rid of money is when we got to. I need shelter, so I got to spend this money. I need transportation, so I got to spend this much money. I need an education, so I got to spend. We only give up money when we've got to. That's how we are conditioned. And we don't want to give up any more than we have to. We want to hang on to as much as possible. So when we read scripture passages like this, or when I stand up here like once or twice a year and talk about this, I probably should talk about it a whole lot more, but I literally talk about it like once or twice a year. We get into the got to mentality. And we say, oh, man, I guess I got to. I guess I got to. And it gets filed under got to instead of get to. It gets filed into, ah, shucks, instead of yay. So search your mind. 
when you think about sacrificing so you can give, is there a, I guess I got to, I suppose, all right. Or is there a, wow, I really get to do this. I get to do this. And if you're in the got to camp, can I suggest to you that you might have a portrait of God in your head who motivates you to do something on the basis of a threat rather than on the basis of an opportunity. And when you locate that picture of God in your head, and this is incredibly important, when you locate the picture of the God in your head who is telling you this is what you've got to do, get rid of that thing and fully resolve instead that you are going to believe in the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ crucified. Choose to believe that God is actually as beautiful as God is revealed to be as God is on the cross. Because Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. It was the joy before him that motivated him to give his life away for the sake of the world. Even what he did was done out of this, I get to. It wasn't, I've got to. So if you've got some sort of deity floating around in your life, and that deity is fear-based, got-to stuff, I just encourage you to bring every thought captive to Christ, every picture of God captive to Christ, every feeling and intuition captive to Christ. Resolve right now, Jesus Christ is Lord. And anything and everything that disagrees with that, put it aside. And you know what happens when we do that? When we allow the God revealed to us on the cross to be located in our head and in our heart, when we allow the beauty of that cross to permeate our lives, we become get-to people. We become get-to people. And we're transformed from the inside out. Transformation and the power of transformation can only happen internally. It can never happen externally. It is a from the inside out sort of thing when love takes hold in our lives and frees us from all of that. And so Paul reveals to us the very heart of God. This isn't something we got to do. It's way better than that. It's something that we get to, that we get to. But you know what the challenge is? It also gives us the opportunity to say, I don't want to. I don't want to. And when in our lives we notice that what we want to do is not aligned with the invitation that God allows us to get to do, we're headed down the wrong path. We're headed down the wrong path. And it's an invitation to return to the central reality of Jesus, to allow the love of God to take full root in our lives so that what we want to do is the invitation that God allows us to get to do. Let's become the kind of people who aren't motivated by fear or rule or obligation, but through the power of Jesus at work in our hearts and lives. Let's be people who say, I get to. I get to.
And may the generosity of God demonstrated on the cross be a kind of generosity at root in our hearts and minds.